Good morning. Welcome, Belleville First Church of the Nazarene. Please stand and worship with us this morning. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives for your our joy and Good morning. You may be seated. What did we just sing about? Heal your, heal our, 
sorry, heal our streets and land. Boy, that's a prayer for us today, isn't it? Change the atmosphere, build your kingdom here. That's our prayer today, isn't it? Our country could use that. Amen? Amen. And good morning. It's nice to see you all this morning here at Belleville First Church of the Nazarene. If you're joining us online, we would also like to offer a sincere welcome, and we're delighted that you're joining us today. Just a few things to share with you before we continue with our worship. Uh, the prayer and Bible study, which occurs on Tuesday evening, will occur again this Tuesday evening, 6.30, and that will continue to be online only. The baby bottle campaign, we are continuing uh, the campaign for, uh, you can pick those baby bottles up for Mosaic, they're in the, in the foyer, there are only six bottles left, so they're going fast. I believe it's February 14th that we want to have those turned in. If you would like to turn your baby bottle in full of change, uh, you can do that if you just put them uh, back in the box where the empty, empty ones are now, and our, our uh, ushers will pick those up at the end of each service and, and count those. So uh, pick your uh, baby bottle up if you'd like to participate in that. Uh, being a holiday tomorrow, the uh, church office will be closed. Just want to make you aware of that. And today is a special day of celebration for a couple in our congregation today uh, that are on, on, the, on the platform. Uh, if you're Facebook friends of theirs, you may have, have, have seen it, but uh, we want to wish uh, David and Belinda Floyd a very happy 40th anniversary today. I think you should sing a song since you, oh, I think you are, aren't you, later. So, <laughs> yeah, well, congratulations, both of you. Congratulations. Uh, last announcement, uh, hopefully you all received the church email that Pastor Nicole sent to the office. Office then forwarded around to all of us. Uh, her, 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 uh, her email as it relates to community, and I, hopefully you saw that in her email, the excitement that, that she and they have with regard to their, their arrival here at Belleville First. And if you, if you don't receive our, our emails, uh, let, let, uh, let, let Karen know, let one of the board members know, provide your email address, and we'll make sure that you are on our all-church email distribution list. But just as a reminder of, of what some of her words included, and that is a call to prayer. Uh, and and uh, I'm quoting her email, will you join me in prayer that God would move in and among us as we prepare for our time together. Let's pray about the community he has called us to be and what that means for the community of Belleville, Illinois. So please be in prayer in the, in the days ahead. Uh, two weeks from now, uh, Pastor Nicole will be, be joining us on the 31st as her first Sunday, and our district superintendent will also be here uh, to install her as our new pastor. So exciting days ahead. Have you come to worship today? Amen. Amen. Let's continue our worship. I want to invite you to pray with me. In your house, O oh Lord, we find many different things. We find fellowship with each other. We are reminded of your forgiveness and love. We find challenges for living 
in these days. We find hope for our despair. We find, Lord, purpose. None of this is possible if we don't find you. So open our eyes, open our ears. Let us see that we don't have to go and search for you, that you're here. If we'll just pay attention. May you bless us as we come into your presence. In Christ's name, amen. This morning, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles and read with me from Ezekiel as we prepare to continue in worship. The first nine verses of Ezekiel 13. The word of the Lord came to me, mortal, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, alas for the senseless prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or repaired a wall for the house of Israel so that it might stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. They have envisioned falsehood and lying divination. They say, says the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them. And yet they wait for the fulfillment of the word. Have you not seen a false vision or uttered a lying divination when you have said, says the Lord, even though I did not speak? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and envisioned lies, I am against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. May the Lord bless his word among us this day. Please stand and continue worshiping with us this morning. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings 
is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is a our time to pray this morning. Rick has mentioned our need to be in serious prayer for our country. We know of family members that require us to lift them up to the Lord for any number of reasons. Neighbors, so make your requests known as we join together in prayer now. Lord, I speak to you from the middle of a land that is afraid. Fear grips us. Fear causes people to take actions that they soon regret. Fear causes us to say things that 
shouldn't be said. Fear causes us to avoid people that we most want to be with. We are in the middle of a land gripped with fear. How do we sort out when fear should cause us to do things that are wise? Or when fear is tempting us to do things that are foolish? Lord, you've given us two gifts. May we grab them, each other and you. Help us, Lord, to respond to our fear by living in ways that are pleasing to you, by thinking thoughts that are pleasing to you, by resisting, Lord, the temptation to do otherwise. Break the grip of fear this day. Break it so that we can once again experience and enjoy our freedom. Our freedom in you and our freedom as a country. We are dependent on you, Lord, for this deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and continue to worship with us. built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness seems
Well, like they said, we are celebrating 40 years today. And um, as any of you that are married know, marriage is not easy. <laughs> um, takes work and it takes God. That's the first thing. I, yeah. There's some times we probably wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for our faith in God and putting him first in our marriage. And sometimes it's just the little things. And that's kind of what this song talks about more. So I'm, I'm thankful that I've had the kind of husband that's always been there for me. Tomorrow morning if you wake up and the sun does not appear, I, I will be here. If in the dark we lose sight of love, hold my hand and have no fear, cause I, I will be here. I will be here when you feel like being quiet, when you need to speak your mind. I will listen and I will be here when the laughter turns to crying through the winning, losing and trying we'll be together cause I will be here tomorrow Seasons are made for change, our lifetimes are made for years, so I, I will be here, I will be here, and you can cry on my shoulder, when the mirror tells us we're older, I will hold you. Watch you grow in beauty and tell you all the things you are to me. I will be here. I will be true to the promise I have made to you and to the one who gave you to. I will be here and 
just as sure as seasons are made for change. Our lifetimes are made for years. So I, I will be here, we'll be together. I will be here. Thank you. Congratulations on 40 years. I look around and it seems most of us can understand what 40 years means. A few can't, but most of us can. Now, a month or so ago when I was envisioning this service and this time. Um, I didn't plan to use the first verse of the third chapter. Didn't seem to fit. Commentators want to link it with the second um, chapter, and I. It just didn't make any sense to me then. But since then, the Lord has done as He is. It's not unusual that he grabs him by the scuff of the neck and says, pay closer attention. You see, if you've got your Bibles open to that third chapter of Philippians, you'll see that it, that first verse begins, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, Paul's been using a phrase like that um, but this one's a little bit different. This is more akin to when he starts to sign off. If you look at his other letters, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, it, it's kind of like us saying farewell. It's, it's, it's a, a way to say goodbye. So students of Philippians are undecided as to whether or not Paul is saying rejoice, just as a matter of course, or if he's starting to say goodbye. Well, as I worked through this letter this time, I've changed my mind. I think he's saying goodbye. So he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then, as people who write letters do occasionally, he adds a postscript. The second part of that first verse. To write the same things for you is not troublesome to me. And for you, it's a safeguard. You see, evidently, Paul has written several letters to the Philippians about this ongoing situation in the life of their congregation. They quarreled and fussed at each other. Their bickering is evidently known around that region of the world. And Paul has written about it before, evidently. And these habitual divisions threaten this congregation. It, they threaten to diminish their love for each other and their ability to influence those around them through the love of Christ. 
So it appeared Paul starts to end the letter, and he thinks, i got to let these folks know that I love them. And despite this annoying situation, they need to know that I'm willing to address it when I need to. Because, he says, it's a safeguard for you. So Paul writes this letter, or at least these first two chapters, to deal with this. And that's why he's talked about the, the mind of Christ and those, those various things that we've seen. Because a safeguard against themselves. And if you've been with me the last two weeks, then you probably have wondered who this guy is. And, and you'll forgive those who studied this book who say Paul didn't write this because it sure doesn't sound like him, does it? He's been cautious in what he says. He's been careful in his words. But these words demonstrate that, that the strength of Paul's relationship with this church has both allowed him and caused him to speak differently. But then chapter 3 comes. And the earth shifts. <laughs> and now you're going to hear the Paul that you've been more familiar with. Okay? So let's look at our text. I mean, hold on, because right, right out of the gate, beware of the dogs. Does that sound conciliatory? Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are <coughs> the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of the Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in 
his death. If somehow we may attain the resurrection from the dead. I've just read for you what I think is Paul's second postscript. Paul has found his voice. It's tempting to me, and you'll allow me a little preacherly imagination, to see Paul dictating this letter and coming to this point where he's about to sign off and he remembers that he does, he, he's trying throughout the tone of the first part of the letter is he's tried not to offend them because of this issue that they're dealing with. But there's a second issue. And, and he hasn't even talked about it. Well, maybe a little bit, but not much. And now all of a sudden, he just can't help himself. The intensity of his feelings about teachers who are following him around, <clears throat> who are preaching that his gospel is a perversion of what is taught by the other apostles, Who's, who reject the idea that a person can be saved by faith alone, who go around to all of these Gentile congregations and tell them that unless they submit to the full tenets of Judaism, they will not experience the fullness of what Christ has come to do. And that Paul is giving them a short change of the facts. And people bought it. People believed it. And Paul, I mean, Paul's even more graphic in Galatians dealing with this issue. But these are Jews that weren't happy with the council that occurred in Acts 15 and have ordained themselves to correct the process. Faith. Do you know how hard it is to have faith? Sure you do. And we're always trying to find something to prop up our faith. Something to show that it's real. I mean, it, it's intangible. But Paul says the righteousness that God has is imputed to us by faith. And that is beyond our ability to grasp until we've lived with it a long time. Forty years or so. We are saved by faith alone. That means that the fact that God was incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth, that he walked among us, that he ministered among us, that he was tried and crucified and rose again, that those facts alone should grab us and cause us to reorient our lives to them alone. Nothing else. That's not a religious statement. It's not a cultural statement. It is a God statement. But we're human beings. And we always got to put things into context. And so it's, it's our religion. We've built our religion around that fact. So 
Paul feels the need to give his testimony. He recounts these facts. The facts of his Judaism. That he is a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, if you read the Old Testament, and I'm sure most of you have, Benjamin was the tribe that was always put in the vanguard when the, the Israelite army went into battle. That's why he takes such pride in being a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was also the tribe that gave the nation Saul as king. He was circumcised on the eighth day as the law prescribed. He considered himself as the ideal Jew. He was educated as a Pharisee, and he was so committed to his cause that he stood and held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. But then he went to Damascus. And after encountering Christ, things changed. Remember, I told you, I think it was last week, um, I was joking this morning about what I, how long I can remember things, and it isn't very long these days. So I think this was last week when I told you that I'd uncovered the statement that had just got a hold of me, that Paul probably didn't even have the details you and I have of the life and ministry of Jesus. But he had the Damascus experience. He had the claim of Christ on his life. And after that, the things that he had counted on, he now says, are no better than garbage. Things to be put out on the trash heap for the dogs to devour. Paul is forceful in his declaration to these people who love him about these facts. Paul wants to be known as the man of Christ rather than the man of Benjamin. He wants them to understand that he is incapable of the kind of righteousness that God has given to all of us. Do you get the full thrust of his words? Being a follower of Jesus is costly. Paul says it cost him his cultural identity. It cost him his career plans. The disciples, well, they left boats and nets and tax tables and collection tables, not just the things you read about. But they left all that stuff and maybe tools from other trades to follow Jesus. So how have we escaped? Is our faith costly to us? It's good to know that 40 years ago today, you guys were celebrating and rejoicing. Because 40 years ago today, the person I love most in this world had thought she had fallen into hell. Now, we'd been 10 years married, so it wasn't that, okay? 
But 10 years ago today, we were in our third week of language study in France. And Brenda just wasn't built for language study. She's a perfectionist. And she doesn't really like to talk in English all that much. We were warned that the French teachers like to encourage us through intimidation and that they would frequently call us stupid or something else. This worried her to no end. She studied and studied and studied. I went to one of the missionaries that had been there longer than I, and I asked them to teach me a phrase. So this is the very first thing I learned in French. Je suis le produit de mon professeur. Anybody know what that means? I am the product of my professor. So I just had that thing tucked in my back pocket, and I was waiting for one of those suckers to call me stupid. <laughs> you see how much I worried about it. But Brenda paid a great cost during that year to follow Christ. Much more than I did. Much more than I did. What does the cause of Christ cost you? What does it cost me? We are people of entitlement, we Americans. We expect things to come to us easily because it is our right. You see, our culture tries to shape how we walk as Jesus. It doesn't make any difference if it's the right or the left. They, we are told that we should have other filters added to our understanding of the world rather than the fact that Jesus was incarnate, he was crucified, and he rose again. Paul said that's all we need. That's not what our culture tells us. But that's understandable because faith is hard for us to live. It's hard for us to communicate. But we must resist it. We've read about it in Ezekiel. And now Paul says those who would come and add to the faith are no better than dogs. A missionary, an Anglican missionary by the name of David Barrett did study about the progression of faith and transformation of culture in Africa. And Barrett studies indicate that it takes a minimum of five generations for the African converts and the Christians that follow them to get rid of the cultural structures that missionaries have to use to communicate the gospel. I mean, we can't help it. We are the creation of our culture, and I can't talk to you about Jesus without talking to you as an American. But I've worked ever, <coughs> ever since the beginning of those 40 years ago about how that, that process can change. It, but Paul continually fought against this additional stuff 
He didn't say too much about us doing it to ourselves. He did have a lot to say when we proscribed it for others. As I was reading to you this text, as you read to it again, do you notice the references, indirect references to the passage in chapter 2 on the mind of Christ? Paul wasn't just speaking there. He wasn't just giving a, a, a advice. Those were the tenets by which he lived the gospel himself, that he wanted to know Christ alone and the power of his resurrection. Paul readily places his cultural life as a Jew second to his life of faith as a follower of Jesus. But maybe I should let Paul speak for himself. Beginning in 12. Not that I have already obtained these or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this is one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too, God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what you have attained. Words are extremely important. Paul advises that the mature to take care of those of us who aren't. Maturity is confidence that God will reveal what is needed to correct, to complete fellow Christians. But we continually try to do it for each other, don't we? Paul's prayer in chapter 1, verse 9, was that the church would experience love in an overflowing way with knowledge and full insight. That was his prayer. I was a freshman in college, and when I went to Greenville the fall before, I was probably the most conservative student on campus, at least in the freshman class. I'd grown up in the most conservative fundamentalist Southern Baptist Church in St. Louis County, and I'd been a good student. but I was committed to Christ. And over the years, things have happened to cause me to read how my pastor and my Sunday school teachers had not fully grasped the gospel. Not that they weren't saved, not that they weren't good Christians, but their cultural heritage shaped the way that they presented it and lived it. And so I was taught that women had no place in the pulpit, no place in leadership. There were even times when we debated whether or not a woman should be a Sunday school teacher with men in the Sunday school class. I remember one woman missionary that came to the church from Brazil, and the pastor made her address the congregation from the floor 
because she was a woman and couldn't enter into his pulpit. And that's what I entered Greenville with. That was my belief. That's my understanding. The night before spring break of my freshman year, I was called into the office of a woman named Sarah Ridpath. Sarah was gracious and loving, and she showed more patience to me than I ever deserved. And she said, Dwight, I've got to ask you something. Tomorrow there's a group of students who are going to Colorado to, to talk about the revival we've just had. Have, have any of you ever heard of the Asbury Revivals, 1970? Uh, well, we had them. They, they brought the team to Greenville. And for a week we had students round the clock praying in the, in the chapel and getting right with the Lord. And so we were, the school was sending a team out to Colorado to talk to Free Methodist churches out there. And Sarah said to me that day, she said, one of the guys she had recruited to go along as a driver and to be on the team had gotten sick and wasn't going to be able to go. And these are her words to me. She said, Dwight, I thought about you in the beginning, but I didn't know what you would say. I said, what? She said, you're going to go out there and when you go into those Free Methodist churches in northern Colorado, you're going to meet some women pastors. And I want you to go on this trip. I think you need to go on this trip. And I think you would be good on this trip, but you've got to promise me to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and not say what you think when you meet these women. Well, I'd never been to Colorado. And I seriously thought I was compromising my faith when I said, okay, I'll be quiet. <laughs> But it was my first introduction. One of the first cracks that began in me seeing how the cultural structure of Western society about men and women colored the way we read the Bible. Colors how the way we translated. In Romans 16, um, Phoebe's called a deacon in Greek, but we translated in English as a deaconess. There are a number of ways that we short-circuit um, what the Bible has to say about women in ministry, and that's cultural. Some of you aren't comfortable with the length to which this progression has taken me, and I want to thank you for your love and patience in tolerating things that I have talked about with which you vehemently disagree. I have concerns, social concerns, and race concerns that make you uncomfortable. I am not a single-issue, die-hard Republican. I do not believe that there is only that it, that any one Democratic policy will lead to the destruction of the Republic. I stand squarely entrenched and not liking either group particularly. And if you're concerned about my positions, then I'm always welcoming to have you talk to me. But you need to know, while I still have the chance to say so, that I have appreciated your graciousness as I have applied the gospel but you need to know that, that it is because of the journey that God has taken me on. Beginning with that trip to Colorado, continuing to watch Brenda suffer in France for the cause of Christ, 
and the things that we had experienced in living and working with Christians from other cultures and having to come to grips with where my faith and my biblical interpretations were colored. And I'm still learning. Now, I don't want Brenda to get a big head, so you need to know. Five years after we went to Burundi, we were kicked out of Burundi. And the mission board asked us to go to Mozambique and open up new work, a brand new mission site in Mozambique. And Brenda asked, and what language we'll have to learn? And they said, well, you'll have to learn two. Before the man even said Portuguese, she said no. She was not going back into another, because we'd, we'd already had two language schools, and she wasn't going into a, voluntarily go into another one with two more. So we went to Tanzania. The journey that we have been on represents who we are and how we see the faith. My opinions have changed, as I've told you. So talk to me. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe you will share a light that will um, help me progress even further. That's what we need to do with each other. Now, you're going to get a better chance of listening to me because, of me listening to you because you have listened to me. I thank you. Hear what Paul says in 17 and following. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many love as enemies of the cross of Christ, I have often told you of them, and I, now I tell you even with tears, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of His glory by the power that also enables Him to make all things subject to Himself. Paul is talking in this letter, and if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Paul is talking in this letter that salvation is both fact and process. It is both fact and process. The grace we have experienced is the fact because it has given us another fact, God's righteousness as our own. <clears throat> but the implications of that are the process that we are living. Recall in this letter, he says, love can overflow with knowledge and in full insight, that it will grow, that there will become more of it. Life can be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That salvation must be worked out in fear and trembling. And his prayer that his joy would be made complete. All of these things are process. Why? Because our citizenship isn't where we've been born. Following Jesus means we are migrating to our heavenly home. 
And that when we invite Jesus into our life, we immediately, with the reception of that righteousness, are citizens of that kingdom in heaven. And the process is us learning how to live as citizens of that kingdom. The tenor of this letter indicates that Paul fully understands that this church is in the process of becoming what Christ needs it to be. He never indicates in any of it that he doubts that that's going to happen. Paul's gentleness in addressing them reinforces that fact. His attack on the Judaizers and his warning about their threat helps them to understand that every church experiences internal and external threat (coughs) for which God must deliver them. We are required to care for each other. We are required to love each other. And love doesn't require us to approve of each other or even like each other all the time, but it does require us in our care for each other to grow in our knowledge of each other and increasingly gain insight into each other that will allow our fellowship in Christ to grow. I am thoroughly convinced that the greatest external threat that we have is a world that is changing around us and that our cultural commitments will not allow us to progress into the ministry profile Jesus needs us to be. It's more than the fact that we have cultural sins that have to be dealt with. We have cultural blinders because we are Americans. And that's natural. I would be speaking the same sermon if I was in Africa. There are cultural blinders in every culture. That's why the church needs to be worldwide. Because we are a transforming body. You don't think so? Verse 21. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. The crown didn't refer to, to him ruling or having authority. The crown referred to him being a victor. It was the sign in those days, a sign of victory in an athletic competition. A new pastor always gives an opportunity for fresh starts. Nicole is going to come here and she's going to be rethinking how God can use her better than she allowed God to use her in Arkansas. You and I need to be thinking, how can we serve God better under a new pastor than we did under the last one, or the last two, or the last three? And for some of you, it may be four or five in this church. 
But if you're serious about that, then you better be serious about paying the cost. What are you willing to forsake in order to move forward to claim the prize that knowing God, Christ fully and the power of his resurrection that can transform our lives? If that is not your goal, then shame on you. Because nothing else, nothing else is worthy of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to sing. We're going to think about these words. Or we may be able to be tempted to think about lunch or the football game this afternoon. But if we are, Lord, snap us back. At least for these few moments, let us seriously consider what we would consider too costly in our discipleship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing this song with us this morning. Never 
I want to dismiss us with a benediction. Paul gave to the church in Corinth at the end of the first letter. Keep alert. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. We are dismissed into a hurting world for service and love. You're dismissed. <laughs>